1: Celtic
0: Stuff Live. Welcome to Celtics Stuff Live on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for the Boston Celtics, who, John, have staked themselves to a 3-0 lead despite the confetti-falling prematurely uh the Celtics do walk away with a pretty mighty victory in game three you and I have not spoken since this series was just about getting ready to start and here they are up 3-0 it's very well possible we're going to be talking about the Cleveland Cavaliers by the time we record our next show
1: <laughs> You're right. No, this is it's a quick turn of events here. You know, we were talking about a week ago about our predictions and we were saying, you know, Celtics and seven feeling like, uh, you know, knowing that the tide was really going against them, knowing that we were really being on, on an island in that and saying that, but still feeling really good about what this team had done in the series against the Bucks. feeling really good about what, what they've done really since Kyrie Irving went down and Tice went down, Smart got hurt, and it seemed like the whole world was working against them. And somehow they were able to put together an unbelievable run here, not only – just this last week, but really throughout this entire, uh, last two months and to go into Philly and take a game that Philly absolutely positively needed. They needed that game. And (laughs) you can argue Philly gave it to them. I think, I think Boston took that game. Boston did what they needed to do to, you know, be the veteran, veteran wild team. And, um, They did it on two
0: occasions, too, though, John. They did it at the end of regulation. And then in very Chris Middleton style, Marco Bellinelli knocks down a two, which was almost a three, which is why the confetti almost fell. But then kind of a similar events, similar turn of events, I should say, at the end of overtime, because in both cases there was a steal and a breakaway that led to points. And uh, the Celtics seemed to be positioned well, but they needed some heroics from Al Horford to close it out. But still, it was kind of interesting the way that Philly kind of gave those games away. And even Ben Simmons, who probably could have iced it if on an offensive rebound, he had just backed it out and tried to kill the clock.
1: But, you know, you're right. Absolutely. Also, I want to say, though, I thought the Celtics really controlled play. Now, now I'm watching – I'm at an AAU game, my son's AAU game. I've got my phone. I'm holding it up, and I'm looking up to watch that kid, and then I'm watching for the next 45 seconds as I watch the game. And what the I
0: audience was, doesn't know is that you're the coach. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, they, they, they checked in and checked out on their own. It all worked. Anyway, <laughs> but, you know, they had – the Celtics controlled that game. I expected, you know, they'd start the, the game, game three, and Cleveland would give them everything they could. They didn't. They, you know, the Celtics really had a, a good lead throughout. There were there were instances where Philly went ahead, and, and really in the fourth quarter, they kind of pushed out a, a little bit of a lead. They were going up to seven. But at no point did I feel like that game was in danger, even when Bellinelli hit the shot and the, and the confetti was falling. And I was like, there's no way. Was it good? Was he behind that three-point line? I I felt entirely comfortable, and I should never feel comfortable, especially after what the Celtics went through going to Milwaukee and really looking like a completely different team in Milwaukee. In Philly, that wasn't the case.
0: Yeah, Philly didn't really have that Della Vadova style personality out on the floor. I mean, I do think Game 3 in Philly was a physical matchup I do think that actually they let the Celtics get away with some crazy stuff too Jalen Brown, I can't remember the Player, he mugged, it was away from The ball and I can see that's probably why They didn't call it, but he literally grabbed Somebody and almost pulled them down to the floor And it was never called, so they definitely Allowed physicality in Game 3, but the big difference between That and the Milwaukee game was It felt like it was, you know, equally A little messy um, And it looked a little bit more like a regular playoff basketball and Philly really didn't go out there and just try to mug them and see what they could get away with. Keep in mind though that the Celtics were in foul trouble with two key players in Tatum and Brown and then they wind up having Marcus Smart foul out. So uh, they faced adversity in that Game 3, and again, I don't have any complaints, despite the complaints you got from me in Milwaukee, and, and it's not because the Celtics walked away with a win. I enjoyed Game 3 from start to finish. It was the most exciting game of the playoffs so far, and not even if the Celtics had lost... I still would be saying that. It was a heck of a matchup. I mean, there were posterizing dunks from Embiid on Baines, and yet you know by watching how influential Baines was in the defense and keeping what you just described as control of the game.
1: Well, and and I think that that's – I saw something Spike Eskin, um, you know, the the Philly uh, talking head guy, sports guy who's, you know, really become the Bane of Celtics Twitter's existence here over the last two months. Talking about how, you know, well, we'll remember those dunks on Baines a lot longer. Really? <laughs> really? You're not going to remember choking, you know, a game when you really needed to win, going, going down three zip when you had, you know, home court here for one game and potentially getting swept in another. I mean, that's, that's insane. How can you Tatum's even...
0: throw down on Embiid? Like, I get it. They were going back and forth and I know it wasn't at the end of the game, but. I mean that was I mean we we're going to be talking Dude, about Brown and Tatum here in a minute for sure.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, let's well let's let's go to it cuz I mean, look, you got lucky. That that little, you know, 5-second gif uh was possibly the greatest thing I saw all week. Um, you know, throwing it down on on Embiid, not getting the dunk. I'm glad he didn't get it, but just that that hu- hubris that he was bringing – there was a lot of questions about Jason Tatum. Does he have that killer instinct? Does he have that killer instinct? Does he have that killer instinct? Holy five games, 20-plus points, baby, in a row. Leading all scores, <laughs> even the sainted, you know, Joel Embiid that everybody wants to put in, you know, top five in the NBA already when he can't even uh, control, you know, Al Horford or even Aaron Baines to some respect. It's crazy. It's bananas – I am just over the moon with this Celtics team. I, you know, I thought last year's magical run was great and knowing they couldn't win and all that. This year has far surpassed that. It's, it's amazing not what ha- not having any expectations can do for you. And there's no expectations on this team and they're, they're really excelling to the test. And Brad Stevens, amazing. But just seeing how Tatum and Brown have grown as players here in these last six, eight weeks. Um, it's a, it's really a joy. It's really been a joy to watch. And I think for the Celtics, you can build off that. And it makes, even those of us who've talked about trading for Kawhi, it makes that a really hard proposition. Yeah, Perhaps, I was Even completely non-starter it. at this point. Yeah,
0: it really is. But the whole trade thing, it's like you want to talk about it because you're just seeing all the reasons why you don't want to move these young players. But at the same time, you know, you've got Horford on a max contract. You've got Kyrie. Pretty close, but definitely will be on a max contract in two years. You've got uh, Hayward on a max contract. You've got guys like Brown and Tatum that are going to be looking for pretty near max deals when their time comes up. There's just not going to be enough salary available. You know they're going to have to do something with the roster. Now, right now. The moves are minimal. We'll get to it in the offseason. It all starts with let's make a decision on Marcus Smart. They've got the rookie deals for Brown and Tatum so they can buy some time before they do anything. But then there's the question of minutes. And right now, there's a luxury of minutes due to injuries for these younger players. But all of a sudden, you know, who takes a seat next year? That's a real tough call, and I think you can fit Brown and Tatum in the starting lineup, but then you've got Rozier and you've got Smart, who have been big pieces of the puzzle, who are going to want starting opportunities in their next contract, who are going to want an opportunity to get as much money as they can in that contract, and nobody's going to pay them what they want to be a bench player. Boston isn't going to either, so there's going to be some difficult decisions, but for right now, You just have to enjoy the last four years of draft selections of a guru in Danny Ainge. Marcus Smart, Terry Rozier, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, all key cogs. And the glue, which we'll get to in a minute, that just the the amount of props that has to go to Al Horford, you know, we can go ahead and... I know leap off last show where we talked about playoff Horford, but playoff Horford just kicked it up a couple more notches since we last spoke about him. The only thing I'll ask you, John is game one, Jalen Brown sits game two. He's out there and, his first couple of minutes, it took a little bit for that hammy to warm up. It was a little scary. Did you get nervous about him running out there? Did you think after they won Game One, they should take the luxury of giving him another day off? What was your thoughts there? Because I think by Game Three, there's some wincing, but he's playing through it. But I think he looks pretty much up to the up to the challenge.
1: Yeah, I, I get I got real nervous, real real nervous about his ginger steps that he was taking, especially the way he landed off that big throwdown early on when he came in in game two. I thought that was really a a moment where – I probably didn't breathe for a good two and a half minutes because there was a timeout right after that. <laughs> and they're like, "Okay, okay, what's happening? What's happening? Go to Twitter. What's uh, what are the beat writers saying?" You know. And luckily, you know, everything was okay. He also the other thing I would say though is he also has this kind of halting run, like jog. I don't know if you've noticed this, but when he jogs. Like just when they're coming back on offense or whatever, someone else is bringing the ball up. He has this kind of halting jog, and when he's running like that, you see him upright. I think it makes it just seem so much worse, you know. So after the, the big throwdown, I was nervous. Bet much better here in game three. I think he's on the the path to you know full health, and I you know I, I'm a lot less worried about him. I thought his movement in game three was much more Jalen like, and, and without those those moments where he's walking slowly but walking gingerly, I think we're past it at this point largely. Let's just hope so because obviously if I can look ahead to the next series, it sounds like he's going to have a big job on his hand. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, all right. Follow Celtic Stuff Live on Twitter, at CSL underscore tweet live, as well as your host, at CSL underscore Justin. John is at CSL underscore Duke, the entire CLNS Media Network, at CLNS Media, Facebook.com slash CLNS fans, and download the CLNS Media app for iOS and Android. Simply search CLNS Media in your app marketplace. And finally, the YouTube channel, YouTube.com slash CLNS Media, for high-definition, full-length locker room interview the garden report the round table and of course a five minute five to ten minute snippet here from the Celtic stuff live guys so John you wanted to look ahead I w- you're reading my mind is going to say the same thing especially as it relates to Jalen Brown I was really hoping that Toronto would finally have a series against Cleveland not because of the competitive nature for the Eastern Conference and because boy, it sucks to be a Toronto Raptors fan right now. I mean, they're like the Buffalo Bills of the eight of the nineties. It's just so they got a nemesis and they cannot get by it, even though they're on the the biggest stage at times. So tough to be them. But here Cleveland takes a, a 3-0 lead themselves, similar to the Celtics. I was really hoping that wouldn't go to the distance. The Celtics might be able to, uh, you know, get this one done in short order and then give Jalen Brown some rest. And now you know how it goes. If Cleveland's probably more likely to sweep this series because they're at home in Game Four, whereas the Celtics are on the road in Game Four. So if that happens, you know how it's going to be. The minute that Philly Celtics series wraps up, then Jalen Brown's going to have to be right back out there again. No rest for the for the weary.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. I think they're going. They may give a little bit of a break. But it sounds like the West, the other thing that they'll try to do is try to line up the West and the East, too, knowing that, that those series are also decidedly in favor of the – of the of the well, I guess in that case it's the favorites, not in Cleveland's case. But it, to have that, I think what you'll likely see is you're right. They're going to get right after it, and Jalen's not going to have much rest. Having said that, though, no. the celts do have a lot of bodies they can throw away. LeBron. I don't think that you could say the same thing of the Toronto Raptors. You know, they've, they've tried DeRozan. He's not that guy. They've, you know, and Ananobi's been that, they've tried to use him. He was ultimately the guy that LeBron made that shot over, uh, yesterday.
0: Well, keep in mind, this is why they got Marcus Morris, right? Statistically, Marcus Morris was one of the people that guarded LeBron James the best. And so that's something that we want to see. He's a hot dog. Brad Stevens' timeout saved him from potentially blowing Game 3. I think I said on the last show, I expected Marcus Morris to have a huge game in Philly, right? Homecoming game, big one in front of the crowd, and he just could not get that shot to fall as a matter of fact game three probably wouldn't have been close if he hit at all at his normal clip and some of those were open they weren't the forced isos that you see which do tend to work for him and give the team instant offense off the bench so you kind of take it uh, with a grain of salt because i mean without him they wouldn't be where they are today he had one bad game three maybe when i go to the game uh tonight monday night game four i'll see marcus morris go ahead and put on that little homecoming party in front of the Philly crowd. We'll see if they can close it out. But there's a guy right there that was statistically one of the major reasons why you acquired him was in the hopes that you'd be able to play Cleveland. And oh, by the way that would give it, this this cleveland dominance over toronto gives the celtics home court advantage in the eastern conference finals if they do what any up 3-0 team has done in history and close this one out against philly so that's that's really nice you got uh we can count on a seven game series so there's going to be four more games in boston and everybody's making money
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Wick's already counting, uh, he's gonna put the, the third edition onto the house again, I think. Th- this is. <laughs> Especially with LeBron is... in
0: town, right? Uh, the only thing yeah, that would have amped right. up the, uh, the amount of financial, uh, boon from this would be if Kyrie was healthy, because that is what this was all poised oh. to do, right? Kyrie and LeBron. The, the, uh, the non rivalry renewed.
1: Absolutely. And you know, even with, even without Kyrie, it's going to be tense enough. Knowing you've got, you know, in that case, three of the last four years, the Celtics and Cavs will have played each other in the playoffs. Obviously there's bad blood there. Uh, not tremendous. I mean, Kelly Olenek and, and his shoulder yanking ways have gone to Miami now, but the Celtics still not only past the fans, the, the players certainly look at as Cleveland is the impediment. They are the difference between them and getting to the finals last year. I don't know how close they viewed that, but certainly I think now the Celtics sites are on the finals, especially after that incredible run in November, their eyes were really on June. And I think that regardless of how Cleveland has done, what LeBron has done in his career, I think the Celtics through this season have felt like they're legitimately have an opportunity to get to play in the finals and, face the Warriors, face the Rockets. And so this is an opportunity for them to meet that goal. And what stands in their way? LeBron James, yet again. But he doesn't have a cast of characters that we've been used to. And, and those guys have not played to the degree that we've been used to. Maybe they're finding their level, as they did last year in the second round. They did so well against Toronto. They came in to that Celtics series and really played you know, excellent basketball. I'm not sure that's going to happen this year. And the Solos have a lot more wing players to throw at them. I like the, their chances a lot more this year than, than they did last, certainly with the Kyrie on our side wearing green, even if he is sitting on the bench and not on yeah. the court.
0: <laughs> yeah, he'll definitely be sitting on the bench. But, you know, just back to that Marcus Morris deal, you're right. They're going to need somebody to be able to check him because even though that cast of characters – and this is the only thing I'll say. Yeah, that cast of characters isn't as strong as it's been in years past. Just look at Game 3 closeout against Toronto. Uh, bank shot on the run, going to his left towards the baseline. Banks it high corner off the glass and knocks it down. I mean, that's what LeBron does. You've got to be scared. Of a guy who can generate offense like that. And I'm scared a little bit that that might be when our inexperience shows on this squad. So in that vein, the Marcus Morris conversation's not closed. So would you rest Jalen Brown and give all those, give a lot of those extra minutes to to uh, Marcus Morris in that case with this roster in game four against Philly. Are you trying to no. stay healthy for that, for that matchup against Cleveland to make sure that there's no injury? Cause I'll guarantee you if there's, if, if Jalen Brown's hammy gets aggravated as they try to close out this Philly series, it's a kiss of death against Cleveland.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think if, if for some reason he's not responding well after game three, then yeah, you would sit him, but it seems to me that he has improved, improved, and improved, and throughout. And they have a nice regimen to try to get him ready at this point. I don't think we're looking at a Kawhi situation that's going to lead to him being out <laughs> the entire year, all but nine games. I think he's he's pulled his hammy. It's a grade one. They say it's a it's a week to two weeks. It's been almost a week at this point. So I think it's fine. I think you play through it and. You know, you just watch it. I mean, I, I think at this point, you're playing with house money. It, if you go to seven games against Philly and, you know, because you, you lost Jalen Brown to a blown hamstring, that would stink. That would be awful. But honestly, what more can the Celtics do this season that would make you disappointed? I mean, I don't think, I I don't think it's, no, I see what you're um, saying. You're,
0: You're saying just go ahead and play it all the way through. You know the the injury gods haven't been kind, so we might as well just anticipate something wacky, wild, and very frustrating that way. But take it with a positive spin going into it, and saying, "Hey, you know what? Yeah. This team has exceeded expectations, which they absolutely have." You know, there's a world where you actually consider trading Kyrie. I mean, it's not, it, You would have to get an Anthony Davis back. But there is a world with those two young guards playing the way that they are in the postseason and all that wing depth, you know, the defense and the rebounding. There is a world where you would consider doing that because of the knee issue, too, right? So I'm not saying that I'm advocating it, but for the people who are so willing to just package Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, you know, the the idea that we've talked about during the season or an Al Horford because he's the elder state, statesman. But everything he's doing in the postseason now it's really hard to imagine him not here the next two years, right? So it's it's tough, but there's going to be roster roster decisions that they're gonna to have to make. Um so it's a, it's it's a bad, it's a difficult position for the team. You're correct though. This season has been a one hundred percent win. I mean the second seed the the way that this has all gone down, they are playing with house money and, and we should be happy with what we're seeing. And it's totally exciting. There I mean, I take the Milwaukee game and the fact that I literally almost walked away from the playoffs right then and there. Uh this <laughs> this Philly series is a rivalry that's gonna be coming down the pike year after year. I've no doubts. It's it's just the the coaching's not been great for Philly and that uh that inexperience has really shown for just about everybody but Marco Bellinelli and uh, JJ Redick.
1: Well, you know, that that's a good point and it brings to mind a question I think is is this is this merely immaturity and inexperience that's on the part of the Philadelphia 76ers both coaching and players. And I think we could say Brett Brown, I think Brett Brown has done a, gr- a really good job as coach of this team. He has kept them, he has done an unbelievable job in trying to keep this team in this franchise focused on the right things even when i think even forces inside that that organization have been working against that in some cases in terms of his job of trying to focus the team on the floor he's done a fabulous job what what's interesting though obviously he has not shown well i think in this series his players have not shown well in this series but you wonder if the way that these last three games have gone and potentially a sweep or even if you know really gets one and they sell this win in five to have such a, ha- have them given such a easy loss, I suppose, really some embarrassing fashion with so many, you know, fans and, and media types picking them. You wonder if that's the sort of thing that sticks with a team where, you know, like the Toronto Raptors are now with Cleveland Cavaliers. I mean, that took years and years of the greatest player in the world kind of beating them down but you wonder how much damage this is going to do to an impressionable, impressionable group of kids and players who have, don't have that experience. There may not be a JJ Reddick there next, next year in, in their, uh, as they, you know, pull their team together. He's a free agent. Who's going to be the guy who keeps them and say, look, let's keep going, let's keep going? I just wonder if this sort of thing sticks with them, you know, and and you already heard, you know, the whining from Embiid about the fouls and, you know, kind of terse words from uh, Ben Simmons. I wonder if this is the sort of thing that's going to stick and it's going to be hard for them to shake. Yeah, it might be, but you
0: also have to think that those younger players are going to come back hungry. I think one of the things that happens to teams like that is they actually, the younger players, they think they've got all the time in the world, right? So they're like, hey, you know what? We're still on track. I actually don't think that they'll get that discouraged. Um and I think that just the athleticism that's there, as long as they continue to make progress year after year, they'll get better. You know, you may not see some of those some of those mistakes out on the on the floor. Um, I, I think they'll grow from it. I don't think it will stay with them, but I do think that maybe the roster gets shaken up over time. You know, you might not see Ben Simmons there forever. You know, the players that it sticks with will ultimately get weeded out. They'll get traded, they'll get new scenery, and the team will bring in somebody else, you know. What is important is that Philly be on the rise and they're gonna have to continue to round out their rosters with guys like Reddick. I think Reddick really likes his role on this team. I think there's a good chance that he comes back to Philly. They're on the rise. He probably feels like he's building something there. That the the squad gives him You know, lots of props. I think they like having him around. He's had the impact that he wants to have. Now, he could go somewhere else, but I could see Philly, with the availability of money, giving him what he needs to stick around, and maybe even in a two-year deal. So... Um, he's hit some big shots in the postseason as well. It's pretty hard not to imagine them wanting him to come back. Then it's just a matter of him wanting to come back, and I think they can make it work financially. And, um, and, the, and the, again, the team is on the rise. They're going to be better next year. So I don't think it'll stick with them, but it might stick with one or two players. Um, First, I'm going to tell everybody about Simple Contacts. If you wear contacts, then you know how annoying it is to have a prescription year after year just to be able to buy more contacts. Simple Contacts is changing all of that by using technology to make renewing your prescription and buying contacts super? Well, simple. And here's how it works. Using your phone or computer, you can take the simple contacts vision test in just five minutes and literally from anywhere. A real doctor will review your test results within 24 hours and then they just write you a new prescription. Boom! A fresh supply of brand new contact lenses on the way to your door, no more appointments. no more waiting rooms, no more overpaying. Simple contacts brings a doctor's office to you wherever you are, whenever you need it. And that's exactly what my experience was like. I had contacts within like three or four days. The test was super easy on the phone, um, also did it on the laptop just to try it out in both area both ways, but it is super duper simple and i 've always hated I travel all the time i 've always hated trying to squeeze in that contact lens appointment even when I know my contact lens prescription hasn 't changed at all so simple contacts offers every brand of lenses their prices are unbeatable. the prescription is just twenty dollars. The contact lens prices are super competitive and the shipping is free and best of all our listeners get $30 off of their first simple contacts order so to save $30 on those lenses just go to simplecontacts.com/csl18 enter the code csl18 at the checkout as well and i do want to mention that this isn't a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam you still need those occasionally but it is a most convenient way to renew a prescription and reorder your contacts if your vision hasn't changed again check out simple contacts and get $30, $30 off by going to simplecontacts.com slash CSL 18, or just enter the code CSL 18 at checkout, give it a try and thank me later. And then for hymns, listen up, fellas, 66% of men begin losing their hair by age 35, and choose not to do anything about it until it's too late. However, it's a whole lot easier to keep the hair that you have than replace the hair you've lost. So If you started to notice the receding hairline? Or maybe you're like me and your son finally spoiled the secret that you couldn't see on your own. That's right, the bald spot hiding in the back. Why is it that we do nothing when we can turn to medicine and science? Here's your chance. Our listeners get a free trial month of 4 hymns for just $5 today, right now, while supplies last. See website for full details. Go to 4HIMS.com slash CSL2017. This would cost hundreds of dollars if you went to the doctor or pharmacy. That's 4HIMS.com slash CSL2017. And, John, I knew you had another rebuttal there, so I've, I figure I'll throw it right back to you because I don't think our conversation was done before the break.
1: <laughs> well no i mean i think i'm I'm ready to move i mean I, I think this is as we've talked about this this entire series and as they've kind of as they're moving ahead here i just look at this series with such an, an appreciation for brad stevens such an appreciation for what he's done and what he's crafted here and you just look at what philly has done and and they're still early in their process they should not be this far ahead i mean look at where boston was last year two years ago i mean that's that's where philly is in their process but i think that they are i think in some ways they're not as well situated to for future success to have a guy like al horford at the center of all that on the court there's nobody even if you think reddick is a, a leader a, a veteran the type of player who can really people will listen to he's not the guy the central guy who's making the passes you know being the the quarterback of the defense and i think that that matters and that's why i really you can't you can't overestimate how much how important al horford is to this team i don't know if Philly can make that jump i think we've seen the Philadelphia 76ers came into this series as world beaters Ben Simmons is unstoppable who's going to guard Joel Embiid and we've just seen through three games forcing Ben Simmons to try to take a jump shot 15 feet, 8 feet, anything can't do it, the guy can't shoot and I and we talked and about it's this. Not a bit last that time. It's not just that he can't; it's that he doesn't. Better and he doesn't want to. That's the other exactly.
0: thing. He clearly doesn't even want to. And you know what would happen in the Brad Stevens system? He'd make them shoot him. He'd make him shoot him until he found some confidence. He wouldn't make him shoot 10, but he'd make him shoot two or three just to keep the defense honest. We've seen him do it with players like Marcus Smart the entire time Marcus has been here. I mean, the guy was not a good three-point shooter, and yet he was continued oh, time and time again, encouraged to shoot the three ball. And then sometimes he would take three balls. We didn't want him to. But, at, but Brad never said don't do it. And that's kind of what they're going to have to do with Ben Simmons, I think, as they move forward. They're, he's just going to have to work on that part of the game and know that he has to live with it. Even if they sag off of him, as we have seen, um, he's got to take the shot. The threat has to be there. And every once in a while, game here, game there, he'll heat up, they'll have to respect it, and then he'll see just how much it opens up everything that he does very well to come uh and be that much more effective. So we'll see what happens. I, but he doesn't want to I, I like
1: Yeah, I like the positivity, I I, and I don't want to hate on the kids. He's
0: 21, dude, and everybody said the same thing about Jalen Brown.
1: But, but, he just had a year off to sit at home and do nothing other than get his foot right. And look at what Gordon Hayward's doing in the gym. Look at what he was doing four months ago in the gym, sitting in a chair shooting shooting shots. Why is Ben Simmons' shot no better than it was at LSU? at this point he's two years in the league we can call him a rookie he as the as the crowd said in boston in games one and two You're not coming a rookie
0: around to right? my whole argument we had this conversation <laughs> last year
1: and All it got on, really
0: though. it got really sticky hey I agree, not a rookie, but I've always said that. But we got into a heated debate last season, John, you may remember. And then we started talking about, well, what about the foreigners? What do you do with the guys who played overseas professionally for five seasons and then come over to the NBA? Aren't they still a rookie? And I'm just saying, first year playing professional ball is what it should be to qualify as a rookie. But you're coming around because you were not that solid last year.
1: No, I'm convinced now, especially after this. And, what, and I would say the, the the Embiid thing, and that's that's another one where he gets drafted and then he's in a pro system for two years before he picks, a, you know, dribbles a basketball. You can't consider that person. And yes, his first rookie year, he played 35 games, so that kind of disqualified him for the rookie of the year stuff. But how can you consider that person They're having still, gone through the the pro system?
0: Still yeah, watching? That's Phil. crazy still watching film exactly. and at a much better level. The resources are better. All of the types of development that you do off the court is still a contributing factor. He's scouting. He's learning how to scout in the pros night in and night out. Um, all of that is well, a benefit to when supposedly. they finally hit the floor. Yes. Well, doing, <laughs> scouting and doing it are two different things. I will say just to end on your Horford statement there uh, or to piggyback off of that, his defense on Embiid, I mean, I get it. The guy's going for twenty and ten and 19, or twenty and nineteen, and he's still going to be a beast because he's a beast. But Al is not making it easy, and their offense, as a result, does not flow the same way. and And I think that's the biggest component. If Embiid wasn't getting wasn't um, experiencing the same level of defense from Al. Then, then I think other players would be even more successful surrounding Embiid on that team.
1: Well and I would also add to that though, not only not only is he making him work, he's putting up I and mean, hit 26 shots in the last game, in game three. Right. You know, and, and how many how many points did he get out of that? You know, Embiid got 26 shots and he scored 22 points. So there's an efficiency part of this that also kicks in where you say Keep shooting, man. I mean, you're not you're not helping your team. I mean, he's turning the ball over. Uh he's creating opportunities for other he's not creating other opportunities for other players really. He's doing his own thing, and there's nobody who's really tying together because Ben Simmons is completely ineffective out there. The only the only times I feel like when Philly's rolling is when those three-point shooters are hitting their shots, as we saw in the first half of game two. If the Celtics can prevent that, and that's a really hard thing to do when you have guys like Reddick and Bellinelli who, you know, wake up in the morning and hit 53s, I think. If they can just hold them at bay, and I don't think that's going to be something that's – I think that's something they can do over the course of 48 minutes, then I think the Celtics have a really good chance of sweeping them and, and winning any time. It's, it's, it's a very difficult process. And the other issue is Philly created this bench – and guys like Ilyusova and Bellinelli, and really you can include Redick in that, as guys who are really can only play one side of the ball. They can't TJ, T.J. Two McConnell. players. Exactly. Good defender, can't shoot at all. And I think we're gonna see that again in the Cleveland series. You have too many players who can do one thing and not another. And I think that that's what that's where the Celtics really take advantage, and they really will take advantage next season. They have guys who can defend and score. And that is I mean, that's, that's, that's what <laughs> Golden State can do. That's what the, the, uh, the Houston Rockets can do. And that's what the Celtics can do. That's why these teams are good. And I thought largely Toronto was that team until mentally they just completely, you know, blew a gasket and, Man. you know, lost it all. <laughs> two, two, the first
0: two games at home, I just, again, cannot even imagine what it's like to be a Raptors fan, but, you know, I've not liked our matchup against them. Maybe I would like it better without IT on the floor. That was a a big mismatch for the Celtics. It made it a struggle. Loved it when Jalen Brown, well, we wanted to see, I wanted to see last season a rematch there with Jalen Brown at the two instead of Avery Bradley with IT out there. And we never actually got a chance to see it. And we won't see how this team matches up against Toronto this year either uh, with with some of this long, uh, athletic young players. It's just really funny. That we somehow have dodged that team significantly, and in the past during the regular season, it's been a bad matchup. Now I'm not going to say Cleveland's a dream matchup; it clearly isn't. I mean, anytime you've got the best player on the in the world, you know, on that team, you're going to be in trouble. But. Um, I, I, You know, I'm looking at the next two games. I do think there's a chance that they sweep, but there's a pride thing here, and I do think there's a letdown game for the Celtics. I know what you're saying about playing both sides of the ball, and that's definitely the truth, and they do go, the Celtics, I mean, do go through lapses with that. What I loved about Game 2 was the end of, this, of the first half when they got really up-tempo and high-flying. And the issue with this team against Philly, especially even in Game 3, there are just these moments where all of a sudden it's like they just don't know what they want to do with the ball. And it's because what they really want to do with the ball is attack and transition. That's really what they want to do as much as possible. I'd actually like to see them in Game 4 gamble a little bit more defensively because sometimes they do get overpowered, in the half court. So why not? Why not turn in some instant offense? You saw how much it deflated Philly. The minute they got high flying and Philly wasn't the high flyer big passing athletic, you know, that there was kind of like they were saying they were thinking to themselves, that's our job. That's our that's our style. That's not the Celtics style. And and I would like to see him press like that in the, in game 4. I obviously want to see him close it out with a sweep because I'm going to be at the game taking it in with a buddy of mine from Philly who's rooting for the 76ers. The question is whether or not I wear any Celtics scared of the game or if I hide underneath a sweatshirt and walk out safely. Um, that's the biggest thing on my mind for the game. But if they don't take it in game four, I feel really good about Wednesday's game five for the Celtics at home for sure.
1: Yeah, I know. I, I agree with you. I think they're in a really good position to, to close this out. You do feel like at some point <laughs> – <laughs> it just like the celtics in in game three last year against Cleveland, you feel like pride's going to kick in and it's like, listen, are we going to get our butts kicked for, you know and have to think about this all summer? Maybe we should do something here maybe that will be the game four. I thought that was going to be the game three from Philly. the fact that they they I want to say they no-showed, but they didn't bring that intensity and energy that I expected from a Philadelphia 76ers team that was just unbelievable in their first round against the Miami Heat and really had been unbelievable since the start of the, fir- of the, you know, the first of the year. This team didn't do that. They, they checked out, man. And so... I don't think that they're going to be able to pull it off. I think it's going to be a sweep. I think Boston's going to go in there to Philly, and look, we know what we need to do. It's going to be boom, 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 boom. We know the matchups. You don't have a counter. You, you're margin for error, and you don't have the intellect to be able to uh, That's create any sort of improvisation.
0: That's a fantastic yeah. point. Uh, the The game strategy for the Celtics only gets better. You know, either in the second half of a game or as a series goes on, in that respect, they're definitely poised very well to close this series out. So I, I see what you're saying there. I just think there's a letdown on the Celtics side. Yeah. I think there's an element in, in this game four where they kind of say, Hey, look, you know, no team has ever lost a 3-0 lead. The next game's in Boston. Let's leave a little in the tank. We're banged up. Um, you know, let's, let's give this one. Let's give, not give this one away, but I could just see him coming out flat. Now, the question is if they come out flat, does Brad dig them, you know, dig in on them and get them motivated and they end up finishing strong anyway? And, you know, Philly's a tough city. That fan base was cheering their pants off in that game. There is a lot of excitement. I don't want to say it's louder than the garden because nothing's louder than the garden. But you have to take your hat off to the city of Philadelphia for supporting this team because, man, did they want it. They were loud. They were into it. They were engaged so much so that their own fans that worked for the team couldn't prevent themselves. They had the itchy trigger finger and fired off the confetti, right? So, uh, they also had a taste of glory as their Eagles took down the the, uh, Patriots in the Super Bowl, right? So, uh, I'm sure there's a little bit of that there, like, hey, let's keep that region under our foot, so uh, this is yeah. a little moral victory for New England diehards across all sports that we get this little stick it to them after uh, after the Super Bowl.
1: It's still five to one, so I'm not I'm not too worried about Philly fans at all. But you're right. I mean, you're right. They, there is there is a pride there, and they finally felt like they had something here. The fact that Game Three went the way it did in so many ways—from really an underwhelming start to Celtics really controlling the game. To the fourth quarter where Philly had so many opportunities to win the game, couldn't do it, turned the ball over, and only from a miracle shot from Marco Bellinelli are they even tying the game. And then of course, you know, the ultimate indignity of someone hitting the button on the, on the, Confetti. I mean, it's almost like the second, the part two of the famous Bill Russell story from the 69 finals where they told him he wanted them to have to take out the balloons from the Raptors, you know, balloon by balloon. You know, it's almost like that. It's almost part two of that story where they hit the gun and everything went off and. It was perfect. Um uh, Barstool already has the t-shirt out with Scary Terry with the, the confetti underneath him. I mean, that's genius type marketing. They're so stuff. fast, dude. They're Good so
0: quick. Yeah. Absolutely. They, yeah. They're, they're, they're great with, uh, with all of that. Really. That's hilarious. They, he should have the gun though. He should be holding the gun. Like, <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's going to do oh, it. The, for the, the, yeah. Yeah. The actual confetti gun or maybe I don't know. Anyway, that's, that's gonna do it for this week's show. The broadcast will be available on demand on the CLNS Media mobile app and don't forget to follow us on Twitter at CSL underscore Justin, and at CSL underscore Duke. A heartfelt thank you to everybody for tuning in, and remember that you can support the show by subscribing to Celtic Stuff Live on iTunes and Stitcher. We'd love it if you gave us a rating and a review because your feedback is important to the show, and for staff writer Samuel Elias, executive producer Larry H. Russell, the founder of CLNS Media, Nick, Nick Jelso, and my co-host John Duke, I'm Justin Poulin. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Celtic Stuff Live.
1: Celtic stuff live.